Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Ali. Ali, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company. In collaboration with Ali, a membership-only community workspace for creators. Each location is a community curated powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Ali, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems for entrepreneurs. Now, on to my episode with Nick Onkin. It's not easy. It's it's a hustle and there's downtimes and like there's you just got to grind and grind and grind and grind and create and create and create until you know your work gets the attention that people want to pay you for it. Pay you for it. Pay you for it. Pay you for it. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host Corey Cambridge. Uh. Yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music. Let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they move, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to the Silent Giants Podcast. A podcast highlighting the superstars behind your favorite superstars in creative industries. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at Silent Giants Podcast. To keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at, at Corey Cambridge. Today on the show, we have a very special guest, photographer Nick Onkin. In this interview, Nick stopped by the show to talk about his upbringing, his career, teaming up with Scooter Braun and Justin Bieber, and a whole lot more. Lots of gems dropped in this interview for sure. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to the photographer, graphic designer, philanthropist, my friend, the silent giant, Nick Onkin. All right, so give me a, give me a mic check here. What's up, what's up? Oh man, this guy sounds good. Yo, what's up, Nick? What's poppin', man? You know, just chillin'. I'm here. We're we're rocking it out. I, I'm I'm gonna call this, uh, this like, like I said earlier today, podcast speed dating. <laughs> like this is, yo, yo, what's up, man? You free today? Yeah, I'm free today. Yo, come through. Is this already cool? Yeah, let's do it, man. Cool. Yeah, that's that's the way that I work. You know, my schedule is so all over the place that it's easier for me. Like, oh, hey, how about today? How about later this afternoon? Exactly. Works, works so much exactly. Yeah, you know, like I'm supposed to go to Austin on Wednesday, but maybe that might not happen. We'll see what happens with the weather oh what's the deal with austin uh i'm doing i'm teaching a class or a lesson it's not a class it's a it's a filmed lesson for okay. an entrepreneur on how to take uh how to take better photos for social media with your iphone oh dope yeah dude i need to come yeah well it's, it'll be online oh awesome. yeah, yeah yeah so they're filming we're filming it on thursday in oh austin. dope yeah. dope yeah, yeah it'll be like it'll be live uh, it's not going to be live. No, it's actually like we're crafting the le- it's a lesson. So it'll be an online lesson. I think it'll probably be like 20, 30 minutes at the end of the day and okay. like chopped up into different sections. And, um, you know, there, I don't know exactly how it's going to, how it's going to go. We've kind of mapped out a little bit of a curriculum and then we're going to just like go for it. Dude, that's badass. Where are you from? 
I'm from Seattle. Seattle? Originally. Yeah. Dog, good people out there, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good town. Rains a lot, you know. Yeah. Oddly enough, my grandparents used to own a little convenience store in Houston. Oh, really? Like years ago. So we would go and visit them when I was in elementary school. We'd go every summer for a couple of weeks. That's dope. Hang out, yeah. That's dope, man. Yeah, but born and raised in Seattle. But what was, what was it like growing up in Seattle? Uh, wet. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what? My, my homie um, that I interviewed, his name is uh, Blue. Um, he's a he's an engineer. So he, he, he did Solange's album. He's from Seattle. Oh, nice. Okay. So we, I, we were, I was telling him like every time I think of Seattle, I think about the Free Will, uh, the Free Willy movie. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was thinking about that fish market scene, and I'm like, yo, I used, as a kid, I used to want to go there because yeah. I just wanted to ride my bike to the fish market. And see, yeah. Like, Fish flying around and people it's catching a, It's a cool town. It's a cool town, but it's small, you know, and it's beautiful. It's nestled between the water and the mountains. And like you go there during the summertime in like August and you're like, man, this is incredible. I want to move here. Yeah. And then say like mid September, October rolls around, and you're like 10 months of darkness, wet darkness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that'll cause you to want to like, get out of there. Yeah, I would imagine so. <laughs> and so, like, what was your upbringing like as far as like socially? Like, what was like going up for you in school? Socially, you know, I lived in the, I grew up in the burbs of Seattle and, okay. you know, went and had a religious upbringing, so to speak, and, you know, just kind of kicked it up there. You know, it was like a very sheltered, I would say. Yeah. A very sheltered upbringing, you know, nothing like the world that I live in today, you know, living in New York, it's like just a whole, it's a whole different ball of wax. So like, how did you, uh, uh, were you always a creative person? Because like, did, did your religious upbringing maybe kind of prohibit that growth a little bit creatively or... Yeah, you know, I was actually was always, that was the one thing my parents always encouraged me to like really pursue what I wanted. And I always was, I was into drawing and painting as a kid. And then like I took AP art in high school and they like, you know, with AP art, they make you do sculpture. They make you do design. They make you do uh, photography. They make you do drawing, painting, all that stuff to really explore, you know, a direction if you want to like go for it. And I, at that point in high school, I really, there was like, Apple, like computers were really starting to kind of come on the market. You know, it was that age and um, desktop publishing was mm. was coming into Throwback. the scene. It was coming into the scene, <laughs> you know. So I, I've not heard that in forever, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, remember all this page maker yeah, and all that yeah, stuff? Of course, yeah, of course, of course. Like that was, that was the jam. You and just I, like took me back to like a, just a different <laughs> time in life right there. That's, like, that's vocabulary. That's like lost in time. Yeah, man. We got our first computer in 1990. It was a Macintosh LC. Oh, shout out. And, uh, you know, I think it was a 40 megabyte hard drive. You know, it was like... It was, oh, y'all, it was rocking. Killing it. Oh, we're killing it. Killing <laughs> it. I got a 2400 baud mode, and so I started getting on like bulletin board systems. And then, you know, so I developed this love for tech. I loved computers. And so by the time desktop publishing hit, and I had already started to do some art classes, I kind of, it was like, I really wanted to, like, graphic design was like the idea of graphic design had just kind of started to hit. And so that's what I went to school for. Okay. And where'd you um, go to school? I just went to community college in in, in, in Washington. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Shore, so, Shoreline Community College for those of you that know Seattle. There we go. Shoreline. <laughs> it sounds like a very Seattle. Yeah. It's very. It's like I mean. <laughs> I mean. Come on. Like a community college is basically an extension. It's like of New high York school. having 
like Skyline Community College. <laughs> exactly, you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> the West Side Highway Community College. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so uh, when did like, the love for graphic design kind of come about? Was it around the high school period? Yeah, it was definitely in high school. And um, I, my, my dad was always encouraging. You know, he's like, do what you love, you know, and we'll support you. And so I started to go down the route of graphic design and I ended up going to, you know, going to school for it. And, you know, halfway through college, I got a, a it was an internship in like this laser manufacturer, but in their marketing department. And I was doing graphic design stuff, but I was, I had nobody to learn from. I was essentially, they were paying me to like play around in Photoshop yeah, and make them some things. So, but I was a pretty self-starter. So I was able to kind of, I took that as an opportunity to learn and uh, learn how to do that stuff and just play around. So I started to learn more than I was actually learning in college. At what point in like your, your, your primitive early years did you realize that you wanted to go into kind of the creative spectrum as a profession? I know a lot of times we pick up these things as hobbies, but you know, people are like, well, I can't ever be like this for a living. I have to be to something practical like insurance. Yeah. So uh, at what point in, in the game did you realize that, you know, I'm going to do this professionally or has that always been your focus? Uh, you know, I mean, I, like I would say, once I decided to go to college to for graphic design, that yeah. was like that. That was when I was like, okay, I'm going to do graphic design. Like I didn't, I had never had any clue that I'd ever become a photographer. Wow. Because also too, you have. Well, I'm really impressed by is that your 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 art ranges from so many different ways, from photography to to painting to graphic design. Yeah. So like, how did all this kind of come about? Were you focused on photography at the same time where you were doing graphic design or painting while you were doing graphic design? Or was it kind of like a gradual build for you to get to that point? Yeah, you know, it was kind of all come, it's come full circle now. But when I got out of college or when I was in college, so I had that marketing, that internship. And then I went into, I started designing, I got a job designing book covers um, at a small self-publishing company. In, okay out of Seattle and I was like that was where I was exposed to doing more design work and then you know a couple years a year or two later I ended up jumping off and doing freelance and then just freelance design work and then that's where my travel bug started okay uh, so I had, I'd never really did any painting at this point. It was all design work. Okay. Design. And then did freelance for a couple of years. You know, I've been freelancing. And then two or three years later, digital photography, the digital technology uh, for digital cameras, it started to get to a point where you could actually like use them and in the design work and things like that. So I bought a digital camera just to shoot um, random stuff for my design projects. Okay. And then that's where that's where I kind of really got on the photography track, but it was still just like a hobby for me at that point. I just you know I was just shooting it to use create assets for design, and then one day a buddy of mine he's a he's an IT guy, and he had gotten back from a trip to Africa, and he was like, yeah man, I just got back from Africa. I was like I donated my time and I built these guys a computer network, but I got to travel and they paid for it, and I was like. I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to, I want to travel and want somebody else to pay for me to do that. And, and I was like, but you know, photo- like graphic design, you can't, it doesn't really, you don't really need to be there. Like you could be anywhere. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe photography. I've been playing around with it and I'll just pitch my design client and see if they'd be down for it. So I pitched them, I pitched my design client on splitting the expenses on a trip to Africa. And I went to Zimbabwe, Uganda, Kenya, and Burundi. And much they were like, yeah, let's do it. And I was like, really? I have no, nothing to show for. Wow. But they still took me on, up on it. And I was like, and so they paid for the trip and uh, for most of the expenses. And then I just like donated my time. And 
um, organize this whole trip and to all these countries. And that was like the turning point. That was like my life changing trip. I would say, you know, in terms of like, a, it rocked my world to to encounter the developing world for the first time. Yeah, I didn't know how to function when I got back. You know, you see like the poverty. You see like, oh man, you know, kids, people living in you know mud huts with grass roofs and like they sweep the dirt, you know, and they, they are proud and they like, they're happy and people are so joyful. And then you come back here and people get crazy over not getting their Wi-Fi or their latte or whatever. So right. that, that really shook me, you know, in terms of a life changing experience, but it also opened me up to the idea of doing photography as a career. You know, I got back and like the client was happy and I was like, I could, wow, I could kind of see doing this as a career. And, and you went back to Seattle? Yeah, went okay. back to Seattle. Okay. Still was living in Seattle for a while. Um, and then I shortly thereafter, I started talking. I was doing website updates for this photographer that my friend connected me with. And I just started, eventually started asking him these questions about the industry. And then he opened my eyes to like what the possibility is of becoming an actual like photographer and making a living at it. And so that was my, my journey into that. And, 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 and what, what was the advice that he, he gave you as far as like wanting to pursue photography as a living? Yeah, you know, I mean, he shot mostly weddings and like some small Seattle commercial work, like portraits and different like mall stuff for malls and shopping centers and stuff like that. And but he showed me like he told me like how much you could make doing weddings or doing like this type of work. I was like, I had no idea that you know that was even possible. I didn't even know photo- I, I at that point I didn't even know photography could be a career. Wow. Yeah, this is like back in two thousand three four. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, what led you to like move out of uh, Seattle, and where did you go? So I, I stayed in Seattle. I started pursuing photography, uh, and then shortly thereafter, right like to the end of two thousand four, I got a job for Nike, uh, and shooting like pro sports players. And okay, it was like out of the blue. I had a friend who was an art director in New York, and he did like they needed somebody to pinch, and they called me, and you know. Five days later, I was flying to San Diego shooting um, people like Ben Roethlisberger and you know Ar- right. Albert Pujols and Mariano Rivera and all these like guys that I had no idea. Because <laughs> this is the pre like the pre Instagram era of, of oh, technology yeah. or social media. So oh, like, yeah. like how did you build that connection with the person in New York and how like how did you know, that even happen? He, yeah, he was just a friend of mine from my friend circle in Seattle, and he was in he art direct, He was in the arts, and he ended up moving to New York and was just like living there, and then thought of me when the time came somehow. I don't and I, like maybe we I think we had probably kept in touch here and there, but you know there was no world of social media. Right. I, I, you know I, maybe I was sending out emails at that point and just like keeping keeping people up to date. And, and tell me the story of like how did he, did they contact you via email? Uh, no, they called me. I was I remember it was like a Monday. They called me on a Monday, and they were like, "Hey, this is so and so from RGA in New York, and you know we're working on a Nike project. And uh, my our, your friend Brian gave us your name and wanted to see if you'd be interested in shooting this. We've got Brian, you know it was Ben Roethlisberger." Brian Urlacher, Albert Pujols, uh, Mariano Rivera, Tori Hunter. I'm like writing these people down because I had <laughs> no idea who they were. And I, so I had to go Google them later. <laughs> I'm just like not in the sports world. Yeah. So, um, so I Googled them. I was like, oh, yeah, these guys are pretty big. Yeah, they're huge. <laughs> so we spent like three days, four days negotiating, um, 
you know, like budget and stuff like that. Christmas was on Saturday and they confirmed the job on Thursday and we were supposed to fly out Monday to San Diego. Wow. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Wow. And I had to figure out what the hell I was doing because I had no idea. It was like all studio stuff. I had just kind of been playing around with lights and stuff like that. But yeah. like even to like wrangle gear in San Diego, there's like, it was the holidays. There's one rental house and you have to have all this like credit and insurance. None of the stuff that I had I ended up talking to another producer friend of mine and who worked for Nordstrom. And she was like, call this guy. He's an assistant, but he has all the gear. So I called him and he ended up saving the day. And, and, uh, he was my assistant. He knew how to set everything up and he had all the gear. So he just, I just, we just traveled him everywhere with us. We traveled him to San Diego. He drove to San Diego, brought everything with us. And then the next week after that, we went to Pittsburgh. Okay. Uh, shot Ben Roethlisberger. We got the, oh, so you had to bounce around. We had to bounce around. And this was like the amazing race. That week was like the amazing race. Cause we were, you know, we, we flew, Flew to Pittsburgh on the Monday, got there late in the afternoon, set up, and then shot um, Beth Roethlisberger and Mariano Rivera the next day. But towards the later part in the, the afternoon, like we were supposed to travel to LA then on that Wednesday, yeah, and then shoot on in LA on Thursday. And later in the afternoon, they're like, uh, it was probably around five o'clock, and they were like, yeah, so we got. Uh, got clearance to shoot Albert Pujols tomorrow in St. Louis. So you guys got to buy new tickets and fly to St. Louis to shoot him and then finish going to LA the, in, at, right after that. So we, it was the, they, the production company had a, had chartered a, a plane or a jet for the production crew. But then like at eight o'clock at, they were going to fly with them. And then at eight o'clock at night, they were like, ah, so we can't have the photo crew and the, film crew, uh, you know, on the same plane for insurance reasons. So you guys, had, we had to buy new flights. So we bought new flights at five in the morning. It's so boss. Five in the morning. boss talk. Totally. It was like, this I was awesome. like, what is happening? This, this is awesome though. Yeah. So we, and then we just, we flew to St. Louis, shot Albert Pujols for like 30 minutes, jumped back on the plane and flew to LA. Wow. Um, and then LA, we shot the rest of the job. That was crazy. And what did you learn from that experience? That that that's, like, that's kind of a breakthrough moment in your career, as far as just wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I as uh, the biggest thing I learned is as a photographer, you have to be a problem solver. You know, most people out there like playing on Instagram, you know, they get hired for these jobs, and they're like, oh, I'm like, I shoot the same light the same time of day then I just put it in the Instagram well like as a professional photographer you have to learn you have to be able to create all day long however you want what you know you have to be able to light things you have to be able to create whenever wherever yeah um, wow. And problem solve. I mean we were doing this on the fly you know we were, you have to go with it and like think of solutions like that wow that, that's remarkable yeah and it's like what happened after that 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 the Nike gig was there any type of how, how did that springboard you to like the next thing? Well, this is a funny thing, right? Like I was like, yeah, I am like the ball is rolling. I'm a professional commercial photographer, you know, and I, I had like saved up. I got enough money from that with a couple of those things to move to Paris for half a year. Okay. So I was like, I wanted to live in another country that was photo photography centric that I could just hang out in, you know, and absorb, you know, for a little while and just test the waters and see before my career really started taking off. So I moved to Paris for half a year and just lived and hung out. And flew yeah, so it, it was with the intent of, of just to relax or kind of absorb different cultures, but not with the intent of like, 
getting into the Paris fashion scene or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, you know, I was like, I, I'll, I'll play. I'll, I'm open to getting into that scene, and I wanted to see how it is. But after living there, it was just like not something I wanted. Like it's too like chic. Yeah, yeah, and like too hard, like too like how to polished. I want to say. Oh, most most uh, yeah, yeah. And it's like it, I love because you if you don't speak French, it's very hard to get in the circle. So a lot of people told me it'd take you at least like seven years just to like kind of get started because they're so tight. The right. circles are so tight there, and then like you know trying to get work visas and stuff like that. So after six months, I was like, yeah, they make everything over there too complicated, anyways. To like do, I mean, just like trying to get internet in your house is a whole thing. Oh God. So I left. I went back to I went back to Seattle for a few months, traveled around, um, and then I moved to LA. Okay. And what was LA like? So LA was basically starting from scratch. You know, like after that Nike job, I thought, oh yeah, I'm like in. Well, I didn't see another job like that for two years. But I kept building those relationships, and then like two years later, I got another job for them in Latin America. Fly, I flew down to it was Mexico City, Buenos Aires, Chile, and uh, Brazil. No, during this time of this two-year period, is it fun frolicking around, like having a good time or traveling, or is this stressful? No, it was fun. I mean, I had made okay. enough from that Nike job to live frugally for the rest of the year. Okay, you know, I mean. I was living, I basically didn't have, I, I moved back into my parents' um, house, or I got, I got rid of everything, I got rid of the place I was staying, and just kind of moved my stuff into storage, and then went and traveled and lived in Paris. And then kind of based out of my parents' house for a few months before moving to L.A., um, so I didn't really have much. See, I, I, now I know why the Nike symbol is a check. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I just chill for a year, dog. You know what I'm saying? Go, yeah. go out to Paris. You know what I'm saying? I just go chill for a little bit, get the vibe. You know what I'm saying? A little too chic for me. So I bounced out, went back home. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. That's awesome. That's Gotta awesome. Got to roll with it. Got to roll with life, right? And so, and so L.A., Hey, what was your LA experience like? So LA was like, yeah, I moved to Santa Monica and started, and I literally started from scratch and had to start building my portfolio and, and really just shooting test shoots. And I ended up having to take some design, freelance design jobs just to pay the bills. Um, you know, my rent was more, like my, my expenses were more than living in Seattle or yeah. Paris. And like that money had kind of started running out. So I was getting little jobs here and there. I would shoot a wedding or I would shoot like model tests and, you know, like, just do what I could to pay the bills Yeah. until, you know, then eventually I got like a, my first agent and that was a flop. I had, they got me like one job, but like I learned a lot through that relationship. And then what did you, what'd you learn through, through that relationship? I learned that, um, a good agent will actually be out there showing your work. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Instead of stuff, <laughs> stuffing your promos. <laughs> was it, did it feel, uh, I, I think, from a lot of the stories from interviews that I've hear, heard about uh, LA is that sometimes there's the, it just happening in any city, not just specifically LA, but almost people kind of prying on your dreams or feeling like, like they're taking, they like the title, but there isn't like a lot of like work to go behind the title that they want. Yeah, I mean, LA is very much like that, right? It's all talk. Everybody's like a producer, actor, director, yeah. bartender, you know, like it's. You know, I'm all for people pursuing their dreams and everything, but it's definitely like a town of talk. Yeah. You know, everybody talks their way around and it's, it's a spread out city. I didn't love living in LA. It was just like so spread out and hard to get around. And was it, was like it, was that. it difficult to meet folks because of that? 
Oh yeah, totally. It's not like New York where you're just like every night's an event that you can easily go to. Or like podcast speed dating. Right, exactly. Podcast <laughs> speed dating, you know. I mean, I definitely have a different network now than I did back then. Yeah. Know? Like I, that was like something that built out through the years. And then how long were you in LA for? Uh, I was in LA for three years. And, and um, what made you, what was like the next step for you moving out to LA? Uh, so I was, after three years, I'd kind of started getting, I just got a, like enough money to like upgrade my life, you know? So I was like, I could live in a little bit bigger of a place and, you know, and then I, I, I started coming to New York for a few jobs, like some cosmopolitan magazine jobs, stuff like that. And then there, I was like, I should, I can, I can live in another place. And then I was like, wait, I don't even like LA. Why am I like, why am I trying to like move into a bigger place in LA? Maybe I should just move to New York. And I, cause I'd started getting a taste of it and I did. And I just up and moved like six months later. Which is, that's got to be very scary, bro. It was. I kind of had some friends here that like I, I had been coming back and forth. And so I had kind of started meeting people. And, you know, I mean, you know, New York, it's like once I was here, it was like, pff, I just started meeting people left and right. Yeah. You know, I met more people in the first like couple months of living here than I did the whole time I lived in LA. It's true. It's true. I mean, I, I feel like just even for you to get to a point though in LA where things are working for you, we're like, well, I could get a bigger place. And like, you know, like, <laughs> you, know you can like kind of, but as I get older, I realize like, how harder it is to transition. Yeah. Like, because you get more stuff, right? It's almost like when you get a, when you, I moved to New York, I moved with four duffel bags, but now I have a couch and now I have a bed and now I have a TV and now 100%. I have a computer and now I have a home studio and now I have to lug around more stuff. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When I move. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that still has to be a very, like, you know... You have to be kind of an adventurous person. To like, yeah, it's like, totally. I mean, I, did, I didn't really have that much stuff when I lived in L.A., so I think I kind of just got rid of everything, all my furniture. I got a, a crappy Ikea bed, and I just, like, left it there. Yeah. And, I, that's that's why Ikea furniture is always... That's always a story for every like, piece of Ikea furniture. Exactly. It's just meant to be left there. <laughs> exactly. It I, could I, be left there. A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I shipped, like, 20 boxes of stuff out here, which was mostly computers, and that was it. And where'd you move to New York when you, when you came to the city? Williamsburg. I'm still in the same place. Wow. What year yeah. was this? 2009. So you were here in Williamsburg when Williamsburg was Williamsburg. Yeah. When you had to get into the cab, shut the door, and then tell them you were going to Williamsburg. Wow. Yeah. What was the scene like there? Like, what, what, what inspired you to move to Williamsburg from LA? Did you have friends I mean, I there? had already, like, my friends who had already had, like, lived on the, you know, they lived on like South, South 8th and Kent right on the water. And I was like, this area is great. You know, it was, you know, that part, like Bedford was still 
popping, you know, it was like, we would go hipster watching. Yeah. Um, did, did you know at the time that there were like this was kind of like a, a scene or a movement that was happening? Or did definitely, you, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, it, it's popping now. It's gotten more bougie. You know what I mean? Like when I, when I got there, it was popping. It was cool. Like you know, Bembe was still is still there, but like Bembe is like cool spot, right? Um, like kind of underground, and but now it's like you got all the high rises and it's like strollers and Whole tours. Foods, dog. Yeah, Mac store, dog. I, I do like I do like the Whole Foods. I'm not gonna. I lie. mean, everyone loves the Whole Foods. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it, it's almost it's like the the flag on the moon. Yeah. Of like, yeah. oh yeah, this is bougie. It's bougie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's like fifteen dollar like <laughs> buffet. Yeah, exactly. Although now that Amazon is slashing prices at Whole Foods. Wait, really? Yeah, apparently that was they just came out today that they that that's one of their first moves is slashing prices the since they bought it. Yeah, because the Whole Foods is like ridiculously expensive. Yeah. Like when I go there, like, yo, everybody listening, I'm about to put you on. <laughs> I get the Southside Chicken Special. You know what that is? Which Southside Chicken Special? All right, I made it up. Okay. So what it okay. is is like you, you go in, it's like the the rotisserie chicken. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, but the rotisserie chicken has all that room in it, in in the, in the container. <laughs> So then I go through the buffet line, and then oh, I stack. Then I pack it in with the Brussels sprouts, the mashed potatoes, I'm saying little green no. beans, a little five sixty, five dollars sixty cents, dog. I'm walking out like full course meal, killing the game over here. Southside chicken special. <laughs> There's gonna be like an alert for me when I walk into the Whole Foods next time. That's amazing. And every time I walk up to the register, they're always like, "All of this for five sixty? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to see in the back. <laughs> Straight up, dog. I'm not that's, paying fifteen dollars. That's amazing. This is New York City, dog. Straight up. That's money. Yeah. That's so money. Southside Chicken Special, everybody. Yeah, I'm gonna keep that in mind. Look at that rotisserie chicken. They always have it at every Whole Foods. It never fails. Beautiful. And so, like, uh, that's really cool. Like being in Williamsburg at that time. Obviously, that was the last scene. The last scene of New York. Yeah. I moved here in 2011. If I caught like the last. Like yeah. tail end of what were you, like going into Williamsburg or just even the other yeah. day I was on my way uh, into the city to party and I was like yo I remember people the train used to be packed like going into the city and like on, yeah. on a Friday Saturday night and you would get on the train and just meet like all these people like yo, where are you going tonight yo we're going here yo we're going there we're going to this club we're going to this bar yeah. yo, yo what's your name what's your number yo what's up shorty girl yo you single what's up girl <laughs> it was just like this, it was like a, just a party on the train everyone was drunk it was like a, a party getting into the city. Yeah, absolutely. And now, like with the development of Brooklyn, everyone could just party locally. Yeah. So there's no need to like. Well, they're prepping for the L shutdown. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they want to be partying real local. Exactly. <laughs> L stands for local. Exactly. And and, and so, uh, what was like the next transition professionally for you, uh, like here in New York? Like how how did you how did you meet people? One thing I, I love about your uh, podcast episode that I watched was seven ways to meet people. Oh. In a new city, that's a yeah. dope. That's a dope episode. Thank you, thank you. Uh, did you learn that here in New York? Um, yeah, I think that was part of it. And like moving to Paris, it was like you know there were some things that I learned. Like Paris, I, I didn't have, I had knew nobody. You know, I had a couple friends that were kind of coming back and forth that I would see every once in a while. And then I, you know, I randomly my on my way there, my friend was like, "You got to meet my brother. He's this awesome artist." And so. He's like, here's his number. Call him when you get in the town. So I called him, and we ended up hanging out, and becoming good friends. Yeah. So I think a lot of it is it's always like ask people who know people in that city, and then when you get there, offer to buy him a coffee and just connect and like hang out. 
Yeah, yeah. That that, that episode I thought was really. Um, yeah, I'm promoting this episode heavily right now. Uh, thank you. It was a great episode because I always believe that there was one thing you said about like giving. Yeah. Um, uh, we're working this club now, and I, I let people, you know, guys into the club. And yeah. I go, yo, man. Like, but bro, like, it's, there were only five dudes. Bro, man, like, we, like, we got all this money. We want to we buy drinks for the girls. You need someone to, like, buy drinks for the girls, don't you? Uh-huh. And I'm like, yo, look, your money is a, a, is a part of the criteria. Think of this as, like, going to, like, a fancy country club, right? Just yes. because you have the money to go to a country club doesn't mean you're getting in the country club, right? right. The money is just a part of the criteria. <laughs> if you want to sit at this table and eat this steak, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You best come prepared. Like, yeah. that comes with also dressing the part, right? Yeah. It also Absolutely. comes with what are you giving back to the party, right? <laughs> right. So if you're, show, you're showing up with like five dudes, that's nothing for me. You just want to take, take, take. Yeah. And you're not giving anything mm-hmm. to the situation. And I think that's a, that's a vital thing. I always joke around with that uh, here in New York about like, it's so important to be, to put yourself in a position. But life's about positioning. Yeah. Like yeah. position yourself in a giving way before you be cognizant of what you're taking. Absolutely. And I, and I think that just goes with any sort of networking or relationship building aspect is, you know, come in with, to add value. Um, you know, add value to people's lives and they're going to much more likely want to connect with you. Yeah. You know, and, and these days it's like, you know, people are like, oh, can I buy you a coffee and pick your brain? And, you know, like to the point now where it's like everybody asks that, you know, because people expect because information is free on the Internet that your experience is free. Right. And, I, you know, and my knowledge a, is worth more than a coffee, though. Yeah. The years of. Yeah. yeah it's like the like, years that I've. I can buy my own damn coffee. Absolutely. Yeah. It's worth more than a meal. Yeah. <laughs> so if you think about it like that, like what can you bring to the table to get this person's time or get on their radar? You got to bring more than a coffee or a, a meal. Right. And, um, you know, what can you add? Like, how do you, like getting an internship somewhere, it's like, what value are you adding to be able to, to get there? You're there to learn. You're getting a free education if you're going to like exactly work hard for it and intern and you're trading your work for in your time for education. Because you, you've been able to transition, speaking of networking and, and honestly, I hate the term even networking. I think it's I, building I genuine it, yeah. relationships and building genuine friendships with people. You were able to transition to that and to a, a part of your art is like celebrity photography or building those relationships in those circles. Yeah. Like how did that, how did that happen? Um, oddly enough, that all happened through giving back. Uh, you know, back in 2009, uh, I was looking for a developing world charity to get involved with just cause I wanted, I wanted, I always wanted to be giving back to be a part of who I am and part of my brand and just like a part of my energy and ethos. And, I, I was talking to this guy out in LA and I was like, yeah, you know, I'm looking for a developing world trade to get involved with. He's like, oh, you have my buddy, Adam, he's building schools for kids in Laos. I was like, awesome. Wow. So he connected me with Adam on email and, you know, a couple months later, I, we finally found a time to get together and have a beer and Adam and I, like we clicked, like I, he has a bleeding heart for the cause and a like a brilliant mind in business to build a business around it. And I was like, this dude is going to do something big. And I can feel it. Like I know it. And at the point he had like built one school in Laos, he didn't even have like, I don't even know if think he had like, he might've just got the papers for pencils of promise, the actual like entity. Okay. And he's like, Hey, I'm going, I'm going to Laos in December. If you want to come, you can totally welcome to come. I can't pay you. I don't have any money to pay you, pay you or pay for you, your time or ticket or anything. And he's like, but if you want to come, you're welcome to. I was like, hell yeah, I'll come. I'll buy it. I'll buy my ticket and fly out there and 
um, shoot because I just I wanted to. It was like I wanted to create and I love travel photography and all of that. And so a few months later, I flew out there. We uh, traveled for six days in Laos. It was amazing. Going to the kid, the school, like the one school that he built, and then the potential like three other, four other sites that were um, in construction. Yeah. And it was beautiful, like playing with the kids and like really experiencing that on the ground was magical. And I got back and like built them this huge photo library that they still use today um, from that from that trip. Wow, man. And, you know, that was like the start. And, you know, a few months later, probably five, six, seven months later, he's like, yo, man, check it out. My brother found this kid on the Internet. His name's Justin Bieber. He's going to be huge one day. And I was like, wait, whatever, Justin Bieber. I don't know. I've never heard of this kid. And turns out his brother, I don't know if you know who Scooter Braun is. Oh, I, of course. Yeah. The greatest of all time. Yeah, man. So that, like, a year later, you know, Justin's the biggest thing since sliced bread and Never Say Never came out. And then Scooter became, like, you know, famous for that, from being on that, you know, on the yeah. movie. And, it just one thing after another that led to, uh, you know, Adam had tried to introduce me to, to, to Scooter for a while. And then um, I think it was a couple of years later, he like I got a random email from Scooter's email uh, on a Thursday night. And it was Adam. Adam was like, hey, man, can you come down to Guatemala tonight? You know, where my brother and I are down here visiting schools and, you know, we didn't want to. Um, get some pictures for us and for the for the charity, and I was like, "Hell yeah, I'll come down there." So yeah, came down there, and you know, the couple of days later, because I was shooting a campaign the next day, and you know, we all got to travel around Guatemala, going to the schools for twenty four hours, and that's where Scooter and I became friends. Wow, man, that's amazing. Yeah, and you know, a few months later, um, we were on vacation with Usher. Wow. I mean, and it, it it's also like it's funny that this the origin. I think that's a, a, the most important thing about the story. Aren't the celebrities? It's the, it's, it's the thought of giving. Mm-hmm. Like giving is how you were able to receive. <laughs> like yeah, and I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of a lot of people I'm re- recognizing are that's a place of connection is giving back. Yeah, um, and I think a lot of celebrities get so far that they. Actually, they want to give back. They want to be, you know, I think there's an energy just in general of flowing and giving back to the world. And, you know, that's a space of connection. So we about your podcast. I'm, I'm a humongous fan. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So clearly the- I'm, a, I'm a podcast man, clearly. <laughs> but I really love your show a lot. Thank like, you. Like, it's really, really dope. It's like really positive and like, I think it's very insightful. Um, and important for people to like to to hear. Thanks. So tell, tell me more about it. So yeah, so I started the podcast. I mean, essentially, I, I had a blog. I read a book called Never Eat Alone, um, at, like years ago, and that gave me the idea to create a blog. You know, the idea of giving back and like sharing what I was learning in my journey with other people. And that came in blog format. And then, you know, a few years down the road, I went through some emotional stuff with like with my with work and different things. And I ended up taking this emotional intelligence and leadership training class out in L.A. And I just kind of opened my eyes to another world. And then through that, uh, one of my buddies, Lewis Howes, interviewed me on his podcast called The School of Greatness. I don't okay. know if you've heard of it, but no, I love it. It's, I'm going to check it out. Yeah, it's, he's, it's huge. It's a big podcast on personal development, and he interviews like a lot of great people. And I, he interviewed me on the early days, and 
I finished. I was like, man, this was a lot of fun. Like I could totally see doing this. Um, and his podcast producer was there and he's like, yeah, it's super easy. You can just hire us and all you have to do is record it, put it in a Dropbox and we take care of the rest. And I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. So, and I was like, I have a great network of people. Uh, might as well start a pod. I should start a podcast cause I really love interviewing people and sharing that, passing that information along to, for sure to everybody else. And, you know, one of my first interviews was Scooter. That's remarkable. And it was, you know, it was, I remember asking him too. We were actually, we had taken Justin down to Guatemala uh, for the charity. Yeah. So we showed like he, cause he'd been giving to the charity and building schools at this point. And we went down there, he was performing down there and then we flew helicopters into the jungle and took him to like the middle of nowhere where nobody knew who he was. And like wow. ex- he got to experience the kids and the schools and the, like the school that he was building. And, uh, it was a pretty incredible experience. And we were like, <laughs> and then we like go and we like fly back on a private jet, which is also funny, but like, uh, ironic, I guess. But, um, it was also remarkable. I mean, even for him to have to experience like, at that point of his life, like going somewhere where no one knows him and yeah. he's just a regular person is got to be a refreshing feeling for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was really cool. I got to capture that whole experience on, and, and some of the photos are just amazing. You know, wow. they're beautiful. Like it's him just like hanging out with the kids and then loving it and building, like laying brick and like, you know, being a normal kid. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. So, you know, and then coming back, it was like we were we were on the jet. And that's when I asked him, I was like, would you want to be on my podcast? Like, you know, for some reason, it just took me a lot. It took a lot for me to just ask him. So it was fun. I mean, that was like he said, yeah. And like a few days later, I went over to his hotel and we recorded. And it was an amazing episode. Wow. Um, that that's, was the start. That's super dope. Yeah. So then I've interviewed so many. You're in a lot like, of episodes right now. Like I've, I've I've been able to catch like two or three. Oh, thanks. but you're in like a hundred and 130 today. Yeah. We yeah. just, re- I just recorded one today on international travel tips. Wow. Yeah. For that was episode 130. So. Oh yeah. Dude, I, I got, I got to get on it player. <laughs> I'm, I'm on my weekly grind right now. Yeah, man. It's, it's a lot of, I will say it, it's harder to keep it up keep up the pace of releasing one a week than it, you know, especially this far down the road Yeah, with all the other stuff. I have so many things going on, like in my, just so many projects that I love doing. Right. It's like, got to do everything. That's amazing. Hey, how has podcasting, has that, what is that uh, door that has opened up for you getting into the podcast space? You know, I think for me, it's just allowed me to meet some really amazing people. It's still kind of a side project at this point. And I love interviewing people and I love photographing people. So I do all of mine with the minus, like probably two of them. Okay. All in person. Yeah. Same. Um, same. I, I love the like, personal connection Yeah. of like, you know, I, I've done some phone interviews. Um, and, and of course I, I can, I'll do them if that's the only option. Yeah. But I do, I'd rather like sacrifice a ticket. You know, like, I'd rather sacrifice the ticket and like get an experience. And like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times you, we we look at people as contemporaries because we're in the moment. Yeah. But then I always look at every person as like a future legend. Oh, I like that. You, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, I went down to, to interview Michael Jackson's engineer, and I was like, "Yo, oh, wow. this guy." But at some point, he was a contemporary yeah. of was like the people in the scene. Yeah. But like. This guy's like the future legend. Like even with, with Scooter Braun, like that's a future legend. Like people will always remember him in the music industry. Yeah. Like 
as being like a humongous influencer and like discovering one of the biggest artists of a generation. A hundred percent. You know? So we just don't see it now. Yeah. Because we're just in the moment. Yeah. So that's why I like the person to person like interaction. Definitely. Absolutely. And for me, like I wanted to like, I like to take a portrait of everyone that I shoot or everyone that I interview because it's like it ties in to what I do. Yeah. And also people buy into you. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's another thing like of, of, of I really feel like I knew you based off of your podcast. Yeah. You know? So like yeah. it makes you like people like want to hang out with people that are like them, you totally. know? So if you feel like you have a personal connection to the person aside from their talent and their craft, yeah. you're just like, oh yeah, like I think it even like ease attention of like meeting someone meeting you today for the first time, yeah. like quickly. Yeah. Just from hearing your show. Totally. And it's like it uh, you know that was something I thought we talked about before when I first started the podcast is that as a, a branding tool it gets people used to you and your voice. And yeah, so they like, they yeah. feel like they know you and then that like ties, you know, gets another person engaged with your brand. And and how did how did painting come into play? We we went right into photography, we went into philanthropy, but um I love your painting and your 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 artistic expression that way. How'd that come about and how did you develop, develop that? When did that happen? Thanks. Yeah. I, you know, I'm trying to go back. I think a few years ago I did a mastermind, uh, like group, uh, with a friend of mine, Amber Ray, who's been on the podcast a couple of times. She's, you probably love her stuff. She's like, she really talks about creativity from the inside out, really okay. exploring who you are and like putting that into art. And, um, we did a mastermind and started this uh, out of the mastermind. One of the girls that in in there was like talking about the hundred, the doing a hundred day project, um, which I think I can't remember if it was Stephen Stefan Sagmeister who kind of started it, maybe somebody else, but essentially picking a project, picking something, something creative. And doing a hundred day project and doing it doing it once a day for a hundred days okay. and um, using Instagram as a as the um, accountability piece. Okay. So you're posting once a day, so people like are looking forward to it, so that you're accountable to actually doing it. Right. And for me, I ended up choosing at that point. I was like, I was kind of had an interest in like hand drawn type. Okay. Um, and then. So I was like, well, what, that was the one thing that I could do every day for a hundred days, whether it was like two minutes or two hours, um, depending on how much time I had. Yeah. And, um, so I started, I did it and it like, it was amazing what I learned through that because like, if you do one thing every day for a hundred days, you really get better gradually. Oh, for sure. And it actually created, like I ended up like with us, like gravitating towards a specific handwriting style and pen. I was experimenting with all kinds of different pens and, and like lettering and different things like that and I really discovered something through like what I liked through that and then once like a little bit down the road that kind of turned into like well how can I take this to a bigger space and yeah. then I ended up doing um you know, remember like the transition I just started like painting on canvases and like doing you know I was doing mixed medium art on canvases and, and just in my living room and then that just kind of evolved and evolved and then I started um painting I created these stars like this stuff with star confetti with typography like moving the stars into words and then spray painting over it and then I was like well how can I take this to like a mural level so I started doing um we created these star stamps and um took that same idea to the wall and so then I've been commissioned to do like three or a few handful of walls where we did like typography on the walls with stars and 
So then that's been an experiment and I've been painting with that stuff as well. That's super dope, bro. Yeah, it's been fun. I mean, just play. I mean, that, that, that's what, that's what, how, how greatness starts, man. You have to have fun with it. Yeah. If you're not having fun, then what the fuck you're doing? Absolutely. Yeah, man. Life's about having fun. Yeah, you know, I think longevity in a career is when the space where I'm trying to get back to is getting back to that space of fun and play. And, you know, I think as you go, like the, like your overhead grows and you like, you have a little bit more things that kind of confine you, your like bills and like your bills get higher. I have a full-time assistant in my office now, so I pay his salary and like all this other stuff. So it's like, you've got to keep getting back to that passion. You got to keep getting back to the love of creating. For sure. For sure. And it's like, what's, uh, what advice do you have to, you know, up and coming creatives? I mean, obviously you've, you've, you have a lot of experience based on different, um, ways of mediums of creativity, but also different locations and traveling around. And what was it the most valuable lesson you learned along the way of your journey thus far? I think it, it's really about knowing why you do it and having a love for the actual craft, um, and a passion for it because that's gonna it's not easy it's it's a hustle and there's down times and like there's you just gotta grind and grind and grind and grind and create and create and create until you know your work gets the attention that people want to pay you for it yeah and getting to that point takes a lot of hustle and then like there's even more hustle after that like once you if it's one thing another thing that i've learned is like once you get something big doesn't mean you're like the snowball is gonna fall like i didn't see that another job for like Nike size for two years after that first one. Wow. I th- after the first one, I thought, Oh, I'm in like, I'm, the ball, the ball is rolling. Yeah. Crickets. I mean, I still made it. I, I made it through, but like, <laughs> it wasn't any big jobs like that for another two years. And then, you know, your business goes up and down and up and down. And so you gotta like, you gotta like be passionate and stick with it throughout the, course of it. I, I did a 15 part mini series on how to create a career in art on the podcast. Oh, um, wow. I think I started it. If you go scroll down the page, it get, like it's like episode 39, I want to say 36 okay. or 39 or something like that is where it starts. And then it's like every other podcast from there, but, um, just some different pieces of that journey essentially. Wow. Well, Nick, man, it's such a pleasure meeting you. Absolutely. Likewise. This is like the best speed date ever. Podcast speed date. Dude, we should make this a real thing. I know, right? Podcast speed dating. Absolutely. Just like, but like getting people off the street like hella random. <laughs> like, yo, let me interview you. Yeah. Get you, on it. You're that dude. Absolutely. It's a pleasure, man. Thank you for coming through. Thank shout you for out to, me. Shout out to Eddie Sears, man. Yeah, what's up, Eddie? For real, man. He's like the, the, the podcast tender. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, my man. Thanks. Thank you so much to the Silent Giants behind this episode of the Silent Giants podcast. This episode has been mixed by Mark Bird of NBM Studios, located in Astoria, Queens, NYC's number one recording studio for music, podcasting, and other audio recordings. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at NBM Studios NYC. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off till next time. Till next time. Till next time. Till next time.